Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, one of our interns, Drew Toller, continues our new series, Origins, and talks about how trials transform us. We look at Genesis 39 and how God transformed Joseph's life through different trials he went through. Drew talks about James 1, verses 2 through 4, and what to do when life gets hard. We hope you enjoy this message. So I'm a new face, obviously. My name is Drew Toller, uh, not Towler, as many like to pronounce it, but it is Drew Toller. I'm super excited to be here. A little bit about me. I am 21 years old. I am a Bible teaching major at CIU. So I am a senior this year, and I'm really, really excited. If you want to clap, you can go ahead and clap. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Nice. Good. That was excellent. Um, And for some of you that are still clapping, uh uh-oh, James, you better keep those guys around you responsible, okay? I have three, or I have two brothers. I'm the youngest of three. I'm four and a half, and they're four and a half and six years older than me. So I have spent most of my life being an only child, if we're being honest. I got into high school, which you guys are not too far away from, and I basically went through my whole high school without any brothers around. They were in college, or they were gone, and so I sort of get what it feels like to be an only child, but then again, I also know what it feels like to be the youngest, and that can be really tough, as I'm sure the youngest in here can agree. Now, another thing about me, I love sports. I played basketball and I played soccer all my life. I love ultimate frisbee, so if any of you guys see me and you have a frisbee with you, please, just grab one. (laughs) Love the the energy. I also love video games, uh, and maybe maybe I'm a little bit of a nerd. Maybe I'm a little bit of a nerd for that. Thank you, thank you. I also love movies, but the thing is is that I'm very, very particular, okay? I I only watch movies if they've been recommended and they are very good, or they're just the total opposite. They're trash, but that's just what makes them really good. Speaking of movies, some of my favorite recently have just been Marvel movies in general, and what they've been doing for Disney. Like, this whole thing on Disney Plus that they're doing with Loki and Mandalorian, so, so good. Now, what are some of you guys' favorite Marvel superhero movies in the last couple months or that you've seen or that you're looking forward to even? Fortnite, okay. The third Guardians of the Galaxy, yes, ma'am? Infinity War, yeah, exactly. That was such a good one right here. Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home. So I also get told sometimes that I look like Spider-Man. I don't know if that's the case. No? Oh, I got a very, very confident no right here. All right, I'll I'll take it. I won't ever say that again. Anyway, two more, two more. James. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That was such a good one. And yes, ma'am. Captain Marvel. Exactly. Those are all great, great movies. And... Some of the, I don't know if you guys know this, but some of the ones coming up, Disney released what they're putting out. They're coming up with Black Widow, Spider-Man No Way Home, like somebody said, um, Hawkeye, which Hawkeye, he's a ninja with a bow and arrow. Come on, man. There's just not much better character design than that. And then Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is supposed to be coming out with the movie in the next couple of months, and I am so, so excited, because I just love the little magic aspect. But... If you guys remember last week, Dallas talked a little bit about this idea of why we love superheroes. We love superheroes because they're cool, right? We love superheroes because they just know their purpose, right? They are people with purpose. 
That was the main thing that Dallas was hyping on or focusing on was that they are people with purpose. They get up every day and they know their role in life, right? They get up, they know they're supposed to help people or they're supposed to get better at helping people. Dallas told us last week that from Genesis, we actually have a purpose as well, and that is to be the image of God. And that's, ref- that's shown in three ways. One, that is shown by us reflecting God's personality, right? Does anyone remember that? That we are to reflect God's personality. Two, that we are to join in his creativity. So in the things we create and the things that we talk with and whatnot, we are to join in his creativity. And three, we are to care for his creation. Those are the three things that combine up to our purpose. We know what we're called to do as believers. And just like we have our own purpose, every superhero has their purpose as well. Does anyone know how these superheroes became good at their purpose though, or what even brought them into their purpose? In superhero movies, do our favorite superheroes start out awesome and like super strong, or are they usually weak? They don't really know how to overcome a, overcome a difficult circumstance, or how did they even how, how, what pushes them to become the best that they can be, and what causes a lot of them to become the superheroes in the first place? Those are, what'd you say, death and what? Radiation. radiation? Yeah, so even with the radiation aspect, they could either choose, huh? Yeah, spider bites. So each of these things is what I would call a trial, right? A difficult situation, something that caused them, one second, James something that caused them to go through a hard time and it pushes them to make a decision to follow their purpose or to be better at something, right? Yeah, James, what? Heart removal, yeah, Iron Man. All right, we'll, we'll stop right there. But this trial, now I have a picture on the screen uh, coming up right now of Spider-Man, right? What trial does Spider-Man go through? Can we get that picture up on the screen? Yeah, so Uncle Ben dies, right? Maybe, maybe we'll, get some of those, we'll get some of those pictures up in just a second. But um, Uncle Ben dies, and he, some of the famous words of Uncle Ben that we all have come to know is, uh, with great power comes great responsibility, right? That's something that is made famous through, through Spider-Man. Yeah, isn't that just a, such a sad picture? But Spider-Man loses his uncle, what about Batman, the next picture? What, what happens with Batman? His parents, his parents were killed, okay? And then one of, our, one of the most recent and probably one of our favorites is Wanda, right? Wanda Maximoff, right? Yes, all the ladies in the front row, okay? Wanda and Vision, she loses Vision, and this causes her to step more into her purpose and become better at her purpose. You see, do you see what it is yet? What, what's causing these people to step into it and to know it? Not, not exactly, yes, but it's a trial in general. That's a very specific thing. Death is a trial, a hard time, a difficult circumstance. That, does that make sense? There is hard things that people go through, and Spider-Man, it causes him to want to protect the city because of Uncle Ben's words to him. Batman, Batman loses his parents and then promises to be the sole protector of the entire city. And then Wanda sort of on the opposite side, she loses vision and she actually takes an entire county captive, right? That's not a good thing. <laughs> so the trial, by accident, if you wanna be technical, but this trial actually pushes her to transform into something different and that's exactly what these things are doing. These trials 
are transforming. Do you see that trials transform? And we see that throughout each one of these superheroes. And the same goes for you and I. We have our purpose. We have exactly what we know we're supposed to do, reflect God's personality, join in his creativity, and care for God's creation. But when trials come our way, what do we do? Whenever hard times are right up against us, what are we holding to when life becomes hard? Your friends start to be mean at you. As you guys are in middle school and some of you guys are about to step into ninth grade, it's going to be tough for you to go into a place where you're basically going to be not known. Some friends, there's going to be some drama that comes up. It starts to affect all your relationships. Maybe even at home, your family life isn't looking very great. Your parents may be getting a divorce or your brother may be rebelling. It, all these things, these questions, you start looking at things maybe you, well, you start looking at things you know you shouldn't be looking at. These are all trials in our lives. And the question is, what do you do? How do you make the right decision? And how do you even have the strength to make that decision? What, in those, in those hard times, in those circumstances, what does God want to use those trials to transform you into? Genesis 39 is where we will be tonight, uh, talking about Joseph. And so as you guys turn there, Genesis 39, we'll have the verse up on the screen. Um, as you turn, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Joseph was the youngest of 11 brothers. And like I said, being the youngest, I totally understand. And the older brothers really were pretty jealous of Joseph because he was his father's favorite. And the older brothers didn't like that. And then Joseph even gets a dream and Joseph tells the dream to his brothers, not a good idea, that they would end up bowing down to him. Nobody wants to hear that from the younger brother. And so they got really, really upset, so much so, and they were fed up with him, so much so that they threw him in a pit and waited for slave traders to come by, and they sold him into slavery. And they told their dad that he had died by an animal, nearby, or by an animal while he was working out in the fields. And so with that background, let's just read verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, who had bought him from the Ishmaelites, uh, had bought him down there. So, or from who had brought him down there. The Ishmaelites brought him down, Potiphar buys him. And so I just want you guys to close your eyes just for a second and try and imagine what it would be like to be 17, year old, 17 years old and Joseph, in Joseph's spot. So I'm just going to sort of read this situation to you. Your brothers are so extremely mad at you that they have actually just betrayed you, thrown you in a pit, and sold you into slavery. You will never, most likely, you will never ever see your family again. You're going to a foreign land. You have no friends, no family. You're forced to work in a place you never ever wanted to. And odds are you'll be there for the rest of your life. You'll never eat the same food. You'll never have a home-cooked meal. You'll never be in the same situation as you were before. Limited freedoms. You're not going to be able to do all the things you used to be able to do. You're just going to be forced to be a slave the rest of your life. No video games, no movies, which makes us all cry. And do we think that that is a trial? <laughs> do we think that that is a trial whenever we look at Joseph? He's going through a ridiculously hard time. And let's see what this trial is doing to Joseph. How is this trial transforming Joseph? Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Okay, wait, wait, let's just stop right there. We're talking about a 17-year-old that has just been sold into slavery, has no chance of ever going back to his home that he knows of, and this is the first thing that they say? 
the Lord was with him. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that the Lord is with him? Like, come on now, are we just supposed to take that and be happy with it? Well, I would actually say yes. And the reason why is because I don't think we fully understand the depth and the weight that that sentence means. The Lord was with Joseph. So I spent a year in Colorado uh, after high school, and I graduated from high school, went off to this gap year, and I got to rock climb a couple times. And while I was rock climbing, I have a picture of it, this next picture. Um, while I was rock climbing, that's a picture that I took, we climbed up this mountain, and you see that little gap where that person has their hand on and their feet. You have to transfer, and so what you have to do is get a hand up, another hand, pull yourself up and swing your leg over, and at one point I was hooked in, so you see there's a rope that goes all the way down to this person. You can barely see his head in this bottom left corner. Barely see him. But he is a, he's what they call a belayer. And so while I'm trying to get up and grab onto the next rock, I accidentally slipped and fell about two inches. And that's all I fell because my belayer was standing there having me hooked in and holding me and strengthening me and helping me regain my footing. And I think that this picture and the next one, if you want to go ahead and go to the next picture, that's a little bit of a better picture. The rope is being held by this guy down at the bottom called the belayer, and you are being belayed. You are being held. You are being strengthened. And as they are helping me, they help me to continue to go and climb higher up the wall, even if I slip. I was confident that, the safety, that my safety was in the hands of the belayer, that they knew what they were doing, and that I was going to be okay. They were with me more than just a general presence. Like, sure, my friend Tim was sitting there, down there, he was watching, but then I had somebody actually there involved, actively involved in my climb, strengthening me, upholding me, and helping me. And there's times, even when rock climbing, whenever you need a little bit of like a push, a lot of times they'll pull on the rope and it'll actually help you upwards to give you momentum. And so it's not just preventing you from falling, it's helping you in the midst of your climb. And Isaiah 41.10, it'll be up on the screen, gives us this exact image of what the Lord means whenever he says this. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So do we see the depth of that, that relationship in that withness? It's not this general presence. God is om, om, uh, omniscient, uh, what is it, omni, what? Omnipresent, thank you so much. Uh, God is omnipresent, he is everywhere at all times, but that is a very general presence. But this right here, what it's talking about with Joseph and what it's actually talking about with us is that the Lord is with us in an intimate, specific, relational, salvific way. That the Lord is deeply involved and loves each and every one of us, that he is with us in the midst of hard times. And just like that image of a belayer, I hope that you guys will always remember that, that the Lord is almost like that. There's a little bit of flaws in that image, but the Lord is always sitting there holding us, carefully watching, helping us, encouraging us. And a lot of times the belayer is even saying, hey, put your, put your left foot up more and like giving you a spot where you can't see. This withness and this presence is really intimate and specific. It's a deep relationship, and Joseph understood that. And so with this knowledge of Joseph, let's see what uh, the story continues to say. Back to verse two. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. 
And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge over all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. So what does this witness, what does this presence do? Well, Joseph's just come out of a really hard time, right? We've all talked about, we just talked about that. He's coming out of a really hard time, but what does that withness, what does the presence of God, the deep relationship, cause him to do? Causes him to be faithful, right? Even in a place where he felt like he shouldn't be, or where he felt like he's been betrayed. And maybe the question going in the back of his mind is, why would this happen, Lord? Why would you do this? But the important thing is, is that he understood this withness, this closeness of relationship, and he also chose to believe it. That's so hard for us. We, I'm sure there's so many of you right now that's thinking, man, I don't know if this is really a, a trial that I can really get through. Is God even there? And Joseph was probably asking the same question, if we're being honest. And I've been there too. I've been asking those same questions whenever my family has gone through things. And I have to choose to believe that God is sitting there as the belayer, holding me up, strengthening me, uplifting me. Like he said he is. And so Joseph becomes obedient and he continues to be faithful in the small things. And after some time of serving in Potiphar's house, everything changes, right? And some of you guys know the story. Joseph gets accused of something that he never actually did. Potiphar's wife lies about Joseph and tells her husband that he tried to take advantage of her. But he never did, and the Bible is very clear about that. She wanted Joseph to do something that he knew was disobedient to God and was totally wrong. But because Joseph refused, she got angry. She lied about him to her husband, and her husband threw him in jail. And so after being faithful and doing everything he could to help Potiphar succeed in being obedient to the Lord, he gets thrown into another trial, right? He gets thrown into prison. What does this mean for Joseph? Like, I thought the Lord is with him. I thought that that just means that he's going to continue to succeed, right? The Lord is with him. He was obedient, so he succeeded. Well, as a matter of fact, no. Uh, we are not promised earthly success uh, as we follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, a lot of times we're called that we will be suffering. And that's, uh, if you have more questions about that, I would love to have a conversation, and a lot of our leaders would as well. But we are promised one thing. We're not promised earthly success, but we are promised one thing, and we see it in the next couple verses. Verse 19 of chapter 39. As soon as his master, Potiphar, heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the cell. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Does that sound familiar? Right? Didn't we just read something really similar, just verses 1 through 6? And I want to show you guys... Uh, Look up at the slide and you'll see this. It's what's called an inclusio. The story starts the same way as it ends and it tells you something about the whole story. And so if we can go ahead and get that next slide. So you see in verses one, uh, Joseph gets sold to Potiphar in, e in Egypt, 
right? In verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse three, he finds favor, or in the next couple of verses, he finds favor in Potiphar's eyes, and then everything gets placed in his hand. What happened before, though? It was chaos. It was change. It was confusion, right? We didn't understand, but Joseph chose to believe that the Lord was with him, and what that meant was he was faithful in the small things, and then Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes, and everything was placed in his hands, okay? Then we have chaos, confusion, change again, don't we? Trials. This trial is transforming Joseph, and how is it transforming him? Well, he gets thrown into prison, Okay, so he gets thrown into a new place, a, a, probably a worse place, definitely a worse place. And the Lord was with Joseph in verse 21. And then Joseph found favor in the prison keeper's eyes, right? And then everything was placed in his hands. What do we see that's consistent throughout all of the confusion, throughout all of the change, throughout all of the hardships? We see that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And that presence isn't just a general presence. It is an intimate relationship, a deep relationship that is meaningful because God loves each and every one of you. He is strengthening and upholding you, even if you may not realize it. So what's going on here? Why allow Joseph to suffer and go through hardships? What is the reason? Isn't that the question we would love to know in our own lives, right? <laughs> what's the reason? Why am I suffering? Why did my parents get divorced? Why did all this stuff happen to my friends? Why did I have to move cities? Why, 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 why? And sometimes we don't ever get that answer, but... We do know one thing, that trials transform. Trials transform. Everything in Joseph's life was preparing him to be faithful in the little things, and eventually he becomes leader, a leader for the people of Israel and actually saves the whole nation. And it's a really, really cool story. But like I said, sometimes we never even get that answer to our own question of why is the Lord allowing this to happen. But we do know that there is a reason for trials happening. In James 1, uh, in the New Testament, uh, James is writing to um, some, some people, and he says in verse 2, it'll be up on the screen, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So how does God want to use trials to transform your life? Well, we hear it, and James even says, count it joy. How, how weird is that? Count it joy that you're going through hardships because it produces steadfastness, and steadfastness, let it have its full effect that you may be mature and complete. Well, mature into what? Well, what are we to be mature into? Well, like Dallas said last week, Jesus was the perfect reflection of God's purpose for our life, so we are supposed to be mature into Jesus. Like we're supposed to become more like Jesus. We're supposed to reflect uh, Jesus and God every single day and every single moment. You see, trials transform us believers to be more like Jesus. Trials transform, and as we push towards the Lord, they transform us to be more like Jesus, and that's exactly what Joseph, the story of Joseph is teaching and the story in James's letter is teaching as well. According to James 1, reflection comes through maturity, and maturity comes through trials. Or in other words, you have a trial, you come out of it, you're a little bit more mature, you understand, you're, you're a little bit more mature, and then you become more like Jesus through that maturity. <laughs> Sorry. Um, trials transform us to be more like Jesus. So the question is, what do we do whenever hard things come our way? What do we do whenever everything around us starts falling apart and we have seemingly lost an understanding of who God is. 
Well, we have our purpose, don't we? Our purpose is to reflect God's personality, and Jesus did that perfectly, by the way. Join in his creativity and care for his creation. Hopefully now we understand that one of the ways that God wants to use us in that and make us better at our purpose is through trials. And the beautiful thing is, we're not doing that alone. The Lord is sitting there at the bottom while we're rock climbing, while we're going through life, holding us up, strengthening us, belaying us, making sure that even though we may fall a few inches, even though we may get set back a little bit, he's still going to be there holding you, taking care of you, because he loves each and every one of you so deeply. I pray that we would trust him and trust that he is in control and that he knows what he's doing best and that we would reflect God's image, that we would be Jesus' hands and feet to our friends because that's also something we're called to do is to love those around us who are going through hard times, right? Like those people that are our best friends, whenever they're going through hard times, we're right there. What are we doing for them? We're getting them milkshakes. We're being present with them. Like we are there to be God's hands and feet in those times. And guess what? Jesus has gone through the ultimate trial for each of us. You see, he came down and lived that perfect life and died on the cross that we would be forgiven of our sins and then rose to life so that we could have the ability to live and to trust in his promises. And to leave you on this note before we go into some of the response questions, I was reading a book uh, the other day and it's by Tim Keller. And Tim Keller is this brilliant, brilliant uh, pastor and book writer And it just struck me, and I've changed the quote a little bit to sort of fit uh, what we were talking about, but this is what he says. A God who substitutes himself for us and suffers that we may go free is a God you can trust. A God who substitutes himself for us and suffers that we may go free is a God you can trust. And then he says, Joseph trusted the goodness of God. And he didn't even have the cross. He didn't even have the most beautiful picture of love and of sacrifice yet. So what is our excuse? Like as we sit here and as we are under Jesus and what he has done, we can look to him and say, man, you have sacrificed so much for me. I can trust you. And Joseph believed that and he didn't even have that picture of Jesus. Man, how good is the Lord? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful for this time and this opportunity to be here. Um, I'm thankful for each and every one of the students here. I pray that uh, the words that you spoke through me would resonate in their hearts and that they would be able to trust you and that you are good and that you are worth it. Lord, we're thankful that you are with us. It is this deep, intimate relationship with us that you have and that you are uplifting and upholding and strengthening us, Lord. May we always, always believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.